Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. The phrase perception is reality has been attributed to political strategist Harvey Leroy, known as Lee Atwater, and has well become today the standard perception of reality. There is a far deeper experience of reality which lay at the heart of why perception is reality. Feelings are the deepest experience of human reality, so much so that people react the strongest to feelings. Nothing truly impactful in our lives are ever done other than in a reaction to a feeling. Feelings, however, when left to their own devices, become extremely chaotic. And when this happens, our lives become chaotic. Thus, far too often, our feelings are something that we can't live with, nor can we live without. In this lecture, we are going to explore a teaching of the Rebbe delivered in 1966, defining the report of the Ten Spies, who declared that Jewish people could, would not be able to conquer Israel, versus the two spies who said that, quote, we will inherit them. Mystically speaking, the powerful nations of Canaan represent powerful emotions, and the Jewish people represent mind over heart. Thus, the ten spies were saying that the power of these overwhelming emotions are too much for the linear mind to dominate. Kalib responds that these emotions as well can be dominated and redirected. Kalib was right, and through his directions we will learn how to first subdue and then redirect our powerful emotions towards productivity. Here is a list of introductions that we need to understand before we can learn how to channel our feelings productively. 1. The worlds of Tohu and Tikkun and the shattering of Tohu into Tikkun. 2. The origin of emotions. 3. The three different stages of development of emotions namely pregnancy, nursing, and intellect. And lastly, four, the difference between Moses and Elijah. The, world, uh, the word tohu means chaos and represents a world that existed before our world of tikkun, which means orderliness. Our sages teach us that before God created our world, God first created other worlds and destroyed them. The great Kabbalist Rabbi Isaac Luria, known as the Ari, explains that this to be referring to the world of Tohu. However, it is self-understood that God doesn't need to go through trial and error before God produces the perfect world for His intentions. Rather, the creation of Tohu and its shattering, having its sparks fall into our world of Tikkun, is what makes our world the perfect fit for God's intentions. Thus, what we under, when we understand the world of Tohu, we are not understanding the history of the universe. Rather, we are understanding the purpose of our present existence. The definition of chaos in the mystical sense is when the vessels and the lights are not in balance. Too great of a light and too weak of a vessel creates a chaotic experience of great inner disturbance. This was the situation of Tohu. However, why was there such an imbalance in the first place? The reason is because vessels react to their light. The light of Tohu was completely attached to its source and was therefore the essence illumination of its, of, of its source. 
The, the infinite light, like every light, has within its ray of illumination two dimensions. One is the essence of the light, and the other is the expression of the light. Toho was so transparent to its source that it became a conduit to the essence of the ray of the infinite light. In turn, the vessels of Toho responded in kind, and instead of stabilizing the light of Toho, they too became completely transparent to their light which created a fragility and dangerous instability in which the, light, the vessels could, could not sustain so great of an essence light. When that happened, the vessels shattered. Being that the vessels are so transparent and connected to the light, therefore the shattered pieces of the vessels of Tohu, together with fragments of the light of Tohu that were attached to these shattered pieces of, ves of the vessels, fell into our world of Tikkun. The total amount of shattered pieces that fell into our world was 288 and became known in Kabbalah as the 288 sparks that need to be elevated. Let us now explain Tikkun and then we can understand how precisely these 288 Tohu sparks make our world of Tikkun the perfect world to fulfill God's desire for creating a universe. Tikkun is the exact opposite composition of Tohu in which the light is weak and the vessels are thick. This creates a balance in which the vessels can sustain their light. The reason for this sustainable compilation is because the light of Tikkun is the illumination of only the expression of the ray of the infinite light and not the essence of the ray of the infinite light. The difference between an essence and an expression of the ray of light is precisely that the expression focuses on being digested in a sustainable manner. Otherwise, the expression isn't really a viable expression at all. In other words, expression is focused on the recipients being able to receive and interpret the expression in a sustainable fashion. On the other hand, essence is focused on the source being fully transmitted even if it isn't sustainable. In other words, to the essence, the recipient's capacity is not of importance. This is the primary difference between the worlds of Toh and Tikkun. Now we can understand the fulfillment of God's desire as it plays out precisely in the sparks of Tohu as they have fallen into the world of Tikkun. What we now have is the capacity of essence light of Tohu in sustainable thick vessels of Tikkun. This is the meaning of the gold statement of mystical teachings, lights of Tohu in vessels of Tikkun. However, as we will soon see, the lights of Toho create powerful temptations which lure us into a life of chaos when we allow ourselves to be seduced by these Toho temptations. Before we continue, let us take a moment to reflect upon the human experience of Toho and of Tikkun. The first time we come across the human experience of these two worlds is by the first famous set of twins in the Torah, Esau and Jacob. The verse tells us, and Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. The mystical reason for this was that Isaac, living in his spiritual dimension, only experienced Esau as being the power of Tohu. While Rebekah, living in our world, saw the devastation of Esau when Esau is not submissive to Jacob, when the chaos of Tohu is not subdued by the orderliness of Tikkun. Within each individual, the human experience of Tohu and Tikkun is the chaotic passion of the animalistic soul and the orderly life of the godly soul which in essence are the experience of emotions, tohu, and of intellect, tikkun. The second introduction will take us into the origin of emotions. 
On the one hand, we find the teaching speak of the intellects as the parents and the emotions as their offspring. This metaphor is elaborated with such precision in which it goes on to explain that if anything is lacking in the father figure of wisdom, the mother figure of understanding, or in their total consummation of knowledge, then the offspring emotions are not true and viable offspring. Rather, these emotions are but, quote, false fancies, end quote. As the scientific document, documented cases of a woman who is mentally imbalanced to believing that she is pregnant and her stomach size reacts in kind with no offspring developing within her. From these teachings, it seems that the origin of our emotions and their sustenance are our intellects. Thus, it is only through our study, concentration, and meditation upon the kindness and greatness of God, for example, that gives birth to the feelings of love and awe for God. On the other hand, we are taught that the true origin of our emotions are far greater than our intellects. The inner being of all our emotions is our power of will. The manifestation of what we want and what we don't want is the true makings of our emotions. I love what I want and I'm afraid, so to speak, of what I don't want. For example, I want to be respected and thus I love those who have me feel respected and I'm afraid of those who shame me. In the mystical teachings of the, in the mystical dimensions of the human being, our seven emotions are beneath our three intellects. However, our power of will is as an all-encompassing infinite circular crown above our head of intellects and is far more powerful than our linear intellects. Thus, we can now appreciate the fear of the ten spies who returned from the future Holy Land and reported to Moses and the children of Israel that, and I'll quote to you what they said, We came to the land to which you sent us. However, the people who inhabit the land are mighty, and the cities are extremely huge and fortified, and there we saw even the offspring of the giant. When emotions are the embodiment of power of will, then intellect feels powerless and stands in fear of the overwhelming chaos of emotions. We each have experienced such a fear of our emotions in their power of making a fool out of ourselves and of their power to drive us into some quite risky actions and decisions. What we need to understand is Kaleb's response in how to deal with these emotions. However, some more introductions are first in order. Before we, we explore the three stages of a developing emotion, I want to explain the difference between Moses and Elijah. Kaleb's response to the statement of the ten spies begin with, and I quote, Kaleb silenced the people to Moses. Why the extra words to Moses instead of just saying, Kaleb silenced the people and said? It was Kaleb that was going to talk, not Moses. Additionally, our sages teach us that the numerical value of Kali's name in Hebrew is the same as the numerical number of the name Elijah in Hebrew, which is 52. This is why we are now discussing the difference between Moses and Elijah in order to lay a foundation to who Kali was and what he was saying. We said that a Kalib and Elijah are the numerical value of 52. What number does Moses represent and what are the mystical meanings behind these numbers? Moses in Exodus says, and we are but what? The Hebrew word for what is ma, which is the numerical value of 45. God's name equals 26. However, when you spell out the four letters of God's name, for example, the letter yud would be spelled out with the three letters yud, vav, dalid, yud. 
then you have a different numerical value. Additionally, because there are different ways to spell the letters Hey and Vav of God's name, you actually have four different numerical values to God's name. The two values that interest us today is the value of 45 and of 52. The different spellings and their numerical values of God's name represent different lights of different worlds. The word Adam, human, intellect, tikkun, in Hebrew equals 45, Adam, 45. And the word Behema, which means animal, emotions, tohu, equals 52. However, before we bring this introduction of Moses and Elijah together, I need to explain just one more detail. Moses and Elijah are both are called giants of the sea. In Kabbalah and Hasidic, sea creatures represent the holy souls that live within the consciousness of their source, where God is everything and everything is God. Land creatures represent the average souls who live within the consciousness of separation and ego. Thus, ultimately, Moses and Elijah both live in the realm of 45, beyond any state of falling spa fallen sparks of temptation. However, in the world of holiness and spirituality, there is always unity built of a compilation of all dimensions coexisting in harmony. Therefore, within the sea creatures themselves, there exists both 45 and 52. Moses was 45, Elijah was 52. An interesting historical fact is that Moses only went through seven months of gestation within the womb of his mother, which is why his mother was able to hide him for three months before the Egyptians came looking for him, while Elijah went through 12 months of gestation in the womb of his mother. What this mystically means is that Moses' mission in life was primarily the illumination of his soul above and beyond the body. Thus Moses died in which his body was buried, and only his soul ascended to heaven. Elijah's mission was to completely transform his body into total transparency to his soul and divinity. Thus, Elijah's body ascended upon the chariot of fire to heaven together with his soul. What this leads us to in our lecture is that Elijah and his numerical partner Kalev are the perfect conduits and connector between the chaos of the body of emotions and the soul revelation of Moses, through which the power of will emotion, emotions are subdued and transformed. Thus it is precisely Kalev, i.e. Elijah, who silenced the people to Moses. Now we are ready to explore the three stages of development of our emotions and the three and the pre I'm sorry and the one prerequisite of silencing them to Moses. So, let's understand this. There is the human experience of emotions, which is what we quoted earlier about our intellects being the origin and the sustenance of our emotions. However, being that our emotions are originally of the animal experience, there is a prerequisite to the human experience of emotions. For example, when we were young toddlers and we were having a full-blown emotional charge of I want what I want and I want it now, trying to have reasoned with us in a human intellectual way would not have worked. The reason for this is that our animalistic soul entered us at birth, while our godly soul enters us in stages until we reach bar or bat mitzvah. Thus, our original experience of emotions are the emotions of tohu and not of tikkun, of animal and not of human, of a power of will and not of intellects. 
In this scenario, intellect is hopeless and quite afraid of the emotions. Just look at the dread of an adult intellectual parent when dealing with the onslaught of an emotional tantrum of their two-year-old child. This is why, long before any intellectual form of education can be applied, there is first an obedient form of education that is put in place. How many times does a parent have to tell their child the reasoning of, because I said so? This is the secret behind Kaleb silenced the people to Moses. More on this in a moment. However, let us first turn to the post-obedience and silencing and discuss the human development of emotions and then return to its prerequisite. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, we refer to the three stages of a human emotions development as A. Pregnancy, B. Nursing, and C. Intellect. Let's briefly explore these three stages. A. Pregnancy. The Talmud refers to the baby in pregnancy primarily as being in a fetal position, described as, and I quote to you the Talmud, folded with his head between his knees. Mystically speaking, the head refers to the intellect's part of the emotions compilation. The chest as the primary first three emotions of the emotions compilation, referring to love, fear, and compassion components of the emotion. And the waist down, the knees, refers to the latter four emotions of the emotions compilation, referring to endurance, acceptance, commitment, and expression components of the emotion. Therefore, in the first stage of the development of a human emotion, the intellect and the primary emotion components of the emotion are folded and hidden. What we are experiencing at this stage is just the outcome and the expression of the emotion, more than the emotion itself. There isn't a keen intellectual appreciation in the emotion, nor is there a full emotional experience of the emotion. It is the base of the legs and knees of the emotion that is being put into place. So to speak, it is more the what of the emotion than the why or the want of the emotion. Second stage, nursing. The second stage called nursing is where the emotion is already born and is receiving the nourishment and direction from its parent, the intellect. However, in this stage, the intellect exists only in its relationship to the emotion and is not in any position to argue with the emotion. Let me put it like this. You know the person who is looking for advice, but only if you agree with them? At this stage, the primary focus of the emotion is to experience the want of the emotion, and she is looking only to nurse from the intellect that which will help its want grow without challenging it or weakening it at all. This stage, although nursing from the intellect of emotion, is nevertheless the chest of the emotion, the want, the love, fear, and compassion of the emotion. The third stage of the emotion Intellect. The, human, the ultimate stage of a human emotion is its third stage, in which the emotion is in full congruency with the person's higher intellect. Here, the emotion is not looking to fortify itself with the intellect, using the intellect only for its selfish purpose. Rather, here the emotion is subservient to the intellect looking only to have intellect's paradigm become experiential 
rather than the fruit of the intellect being only an abstract semantic data. The definition of experiential for a human, as we explained in the opening of the lecture, is when we are experiencing a feeling. This stage is where the intellect is freed of the emotion's dominance, and the intellect can explore objectively. The emotion is then transparent to the intellect and receiving from the essence of the intellect, making the emotion equal to the intellect. Therefore, this stage of development of the emotion is actually called intellect. This is the ultimate gift of the human in being able to have a knowing heart. However, as we explained, none of this is possible while the emotion is in full tohu, power of will, animalistic, and chaotic mode. Thus, first and foremost, we must break the high spirit of the stallion before the human can mount it and gallop with it to great productivity. I want to introduce you to the Bittal Klali and Bittal Prati concepts of Hasidus. The word Bittal means cancellation and refers to the cancellation and abnegation of ego. The temptation of Tohu, or shall we say the power of will, is that before it can be used in a correct way, we must first cleanse it from ego. Otherwise, the power of will becomes the source to a most difficult chaotic life. Thus, when the emotion is in its instinctive original Tohu state, it is more of a danger of temptation to go astray from the human way and his relationship with God than it is to align with the human way and his relationship to God. Thus, the prerequisite for an emotion to become human is bittal, cancellation of ego. The three stages of development in themselves are a form of bittal for the free-spirited emotion. However, the bittal of the three stages of development is that of bittal prati, which literally means individual cancellation, in which we are dealing with individual components of the emotion. Before we can grab a hold of the emotion, so to speak, and process individual components of the emotion, we must first attack it and subdue it with a bittal klali, which means an all-encompassing cancellation. This is what I meant before by first breaking the high spirit of the stallion. Intellects only have one tool available to them, which is the tool of reasoning. And as we mentioned earlier, reasoning is not capable of working with a full-blown tohu emotion in its full glory of power of will. What then can bring a bit of Kali to an emotion to break the spirit of the stallion? Let us now look at the full statement of Kali. Kalib silenced the people to Moses, and he said, We can surely go up and take possession of it, for we can indeed overcome it. Okay, what does it mean we can surely go up? Upon which our sages explained that Kalib said, We can surely go up even to heaven. If he, meaning Moses, tells us, make ladders and go up there, we will succeed in whatever he says. This is what Kalib was saying. You spies are right that with intellect alone, we cannot conquer these two emotions. However, we can and must go beyond our limited linear intellect and connect with our infinite Moses power by becoming irrationally humbled and obedient to our inner Moses power. This is the meaning of Kalev's irrational statement of make ladders and go up there to heaven, which is simply impossible. Kali was driving the people into the bitter clully of silence, 
forcing the intellect to deal with and to accept the absolute illogical impossibility. Then, and only then, can we surely go up and take possession of it, for we can indeed overcome it. In closing, who is the Moses within each and every one of us to whom we must be silenced and obedient of, with absolute cancellation of ego and with absolute faith? The Ma of Moses, the number 45, as he said, and we are but Ma, what? Is the Ma of the word Chachma. Chachma means wisdom, which is the first of the three intellects. However, within this Chachma, wisdom, there is the infinite Ma. Here is what Tanya says of this. And I quote to you from chapter 18 in Tanya. Whereas Chachma is above them, the intellects, and their source, note the etymology composition of the word Chachma, Koach Ma, the potential of what is, the potential of Ma, that which is not yet comprehended and understood or grasped intellectually. Consequently, there is vested in it the light of the Ein Sof, the Infinite One, blessed be He, who can in no way be comprehended by any thought. That, the Ma of Chachma, is the Moses within each and every one of us. The light of the Infinite One, blessed be He, is the Ma of Moses that exists within each of us and gives us the power to silence our fear, our love, and to rid our emotion of their chaos. Our inner Moses can harness our Tohu emotions to be the very stallion upon which we gallop into the greatest experience of total success. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here at the platform of the Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.